Um, I get to preach this morning on something that was celebrated, uh, the Transfiguration celebrated a couple of weeks ago in the church calendar, but we're revisiting it uh, this morning because we didn't get an opportunity um, to reflect on, on its passage and, and what it could really bring to us this morning. And so I want to um, talk this morning about the hope of glory found in the Transfiguration. Thursday morning, I was uh, doing my thing. I was uh, going about my morning routine, and so I turned, I turned my computer on, and I, I get news updates and stuff on my homepage, and right there on the, like the first one, the first headline was, we have no hope alive. We have no hope alive for us. It was a statement made in response to a factory, a U.S. factory, packing its bags and moving to Mexico. And, and it, this response of having no hope, I mean, it's, it is a lamentable story, right? I mean, it's sad. Real people are feeling real pain because they're being uprooted and Promises are being made that can't be kept, and all of these things try to tell us that we have no hope. You know, if, and obviously this is pointing towards, uh, that is pointing towards the government, right? And if we're trying to find hope in the government, if we're trying to squeeze out hope from the government, like we would squeeze out juice from an orange, we're going to be quite disappointed. And we should um, surely despair. But um, we are people with a hope. How many know that the, the word of God written is a sure hope and foundation for our life? Can we say amen? We can that's what this is about this morning, that hope that we have in God's word, and that hope is grounded in the glory revealed in Christ, especially so on the Mount of Transfiguration. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, that the truth written in Scripture were meant to fill us with hope. All throughout the scriptures, Old Testament even, but especially so in the New Testament, every single letter has this message of hope given to us. And this is the one thing that I want to declare to you today, that I want you to have deep within your heart, is that the darkness of despair has been destroyed by the luminous glory of God's uh, revealing himself in Christ Jesus. You and I and all who would hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ should not despair. Hope doesn't allow it. In the Fellowship of the Ring, for you Tolkien fans, uh, the scene where the council, the Fellowship of the Ring, where the council has gathered and they have the ring set before them and all of them are 
surely frustrated and they have no idea what to do. They are finding themselves in despair. The ring needs to be destroyed because if this ring falls into the hands of the evil sorcerer, then all hope is truly lost. And they're struggling to find hope, but, but Gandalf stands up and he says this, despair or folly? It is not despair, for despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. We do not. In other words, he says that despair is the condition where there is no hope. When all seems lost, we can despair. But Gandalf knew that this was not such a moment. Despair must not be allowed in because hope doesn't allow it. We are not those without a hope, is what he says to the council. And Gandalf understood the wisdom of the plan. And even though the wisdom of the plan seemed like folly, it nevertheless was the right plan. The plan that they were going to follow was one where weakness and, uh, weakness and humility were going to be the victors. It, it would not be strength or pride of position, but it would be the meekness of the little one. And now we can understand this feeling of despair. I mean, we watch the news for 10 minutes. Most likely, nine out of those 10 minutes are going to try to tell us that there is no hope. Like we saw in the, the article from the Washington Post. They try to give us a story, a narrative where there is nothing but hopelessness. They want to try to put together this idea that strength and power is the way to go. But we all, we, we, we find out very soon that we do not have the strength. We don't have the wisdom, we don't have the knowledge inherent within ourselves to give us exactly what we need most. And we find ourselves despairing. But again, over and over this morning, I will tell us that we are not a people without hope. Now, we can imagine the, the first century time where Jesus is inhabiting and his disciples are inhabiting. We can, we can definitely see that this was potentially a time of great hopelessness. The Romans were in power. The pseudo-local Jewish government that was set up was corrupt. And the, the religious leaders were enjoying their personal piety and, and position way too much. And by this time, there had been several messiahs that had came upon the scene. And none of them had really panned out. They, they definitely weren't the ones prophesied of in the Old Testament. All of them turned out to be messianic duds. Uh, but then here comes Jesus. This next one proclaiming to be the Messiah, would he be the real deal or would he just end up being another messianic failure? See, Jesus came teaching that the kingdom of God has come upon them and, and he was revealing God's glory through many miracles. And he, and he said that the promises of, promises of God declared to us in the Old Testament and the scriptures were, were coming alive and being fulfilled and that hope was a very real thing 
when faith was placed in him. Jesus knew that his coming was going to be one that would inevitably lead to the cross. That there was this plan of meekness and weakness that would surely sound like folly, like foolishness to anybody who would hear it. Wait a second, you're the Messiah, but you gotta die? This doesn't make sense. Surely we would fall into some despair once we learn that our messianic king has only come to die. And yet, though we don't understand it, we come again to this idea of hope. We have hope in God's glory revealed in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to, when we, when we look now upon the transfiguration, I want us to see this incredible hope that God gives us in Christ and his glory. The scene that sets up the transfiguration is really important to recall. Before finally turning to Jerusalem, heading towards the cross, Jesus and his disciples end up in the northern sector of the region, and they went to this booming town called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, it was known for its pagan shrines and its different cultic worship activities. And it was there that Jesus set up this really incredible lesson for himself and the disciples. So in Caesarea Philippi, um, there's a nice river. It comes out of this kind of... uh, hill area, and then there's a steep cliff that goes up, and, uh, and there's several uh, like shrines or temples that are set up against the backdrop of this cliff. One of those is the temple to Pan. It's a sanctuary where people would sacrifice animals to the Greek god Pan. But what's interesting is that this temple was pushed up against this cliff area right where there was a giant cave opening. And this cave opening fell deep down, straight down into the ground deep. It was completely dark back there behind the temple. But what's interesting is what they called this cave opening. You see... uh, The Greek people back in the day, they thought that this was an entrance to hell. And they set up the sanctuary to where that they would sacrifice animals and drop them down into hell. And so it sets up the story of Jesus in Caesarea Philippi, the teaching, pretty well. This shows how masterful Jesus was as a teacher. So we can imagine Jesus and his disciples are sitting up on the hillside where they can view this sanctuary to Pan. And he starts teaching, but he asks, the, he asks the question of all questions, right? He says, who do you say that I am? We, we know the story. Peter pipes up and he says, I know, you are the son of the living God, the Messiah. And Jesus is like, correct. But... Um, You can't tell anybody until the Son of Man raises on the third day. Like, what? I don't get it. But he looks over. Once he hears this confession, he looks over. I can imagine Jesus pointing to the, to the gates of hell, 
And he says, you are correct, Peter, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How masterful of a teaching is that? He sets up the lesson perfectly. But he continues on. In this spot where he's teaching, he, he then tells them about his soon coming death. We have this great uplifting story of Jesus, you're the son of God, and we all know it to be true. But then here again, Jesus says, I have to die. I will be handed over to the people and they will, they will kill me. And then we could probably sense a little bit of despair creeping back in. But wait, you have to die. At the end of this epic lesson, Jesus tells his disciples that the Son of Man will come again, however, in his glory, in the glory of his Father, and he will execute his authority as a sovereign and as judge. And then he tells them, truly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You see, Jesus was prepping them. He was most likely prepping himself as well. He was prepping them for the coming of God's kingdom, but more immediately, Jesus was prepping them for the crucifixion, for his journey to the cross. And, I mean, we can understand the despair that was coming. Our leader, our friend, the Messiah, is willingly walking towards his death. And I can sense at this moment that there would have been some despair there. There could have been a little bit of hopelessness creeping into the story. But, but don't you know that the father loves his son? His father loves us, his adopted children. He wouldn't let Jesus take another moment without being encouraged. He wouldn't let his disciples go on without being encouraged, without knowing that they have hope. And now we come to the transfiguration. The journey continued, and Matthew reports that six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up to the high mountain. And so the three closest of the disciples to Jesus were up there with Jesus, and, and then Matthew tells the story of possibly the most significant theological event between Jesus' birth and his resurrection. It's incredibly theological, and it's super powerful, but I'm trying to tell us today that it is incredibly practical. This moment of transfiguration, of seeing Christ's glory, just delivers an intense amount of hope into the disciples and encouragement into Christ. We read it. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and Elijah. And he was still speaking. And then behold, the, the cloud of glory overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face and were terrified. But Jesus came and he touched them saying, rise and have no fear. Have hope. And they lifted up their eyes, and they saw no one but Jesus only. All of the synoptic gospels record this event, but Matthew is the only one who talks about Jesus' face specifically shining like the sun. And this is a significant detail, I think. It is a great allusion to God's glory being revealed in Christ. Like in Exodus 34... We're told that Moses would go through the routine of uncovering his face, covering and uncovering his face, face with a veil in order to hide the glory, the reflection of the glory that was on his face so that the people wouldn't see it, that they wouldn't see the, the fadingness of it, the transientness of it. And this is what Paul picks up in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, therefore, because we have such a hope, it's interesting that he uses this idea of glory shining in the context of giving hope to the Corinthians. Therefore, because we have such a hope, we use much boldness, and not as Moses used to place a veil over his face in order that the sons of Israel would not stare at the end of what was transitory. This was said for the very sake of establishing hope in the believers at Corinth. You see, the steadfast confidence that we have to live this Christian life comes from the fact that the glory is in Christ, and that glory is given to us in him through faith. He continues on in that same chapter at verse 18. He says, and we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The power of this event, of Christ's transfiguration, the revelation of God's glory in Christ to his closest disciples, like I said, is felt now all throughout the New Testament scriptures. Paul mentions it over and over and over again. He says again, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. He is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Isn't it interesting that Paul talks about the face again being that place where God's glory shines out like the sun. And Peter, as we heard uh, in our epistle reading, talks about the very hope that we have as found in Christ. He says in chapter 2, he speaks about this specific event on the mountain. 
says, so I will always remind you of these things. In 2 Peter, he says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know that, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as the Lord has made clear to me. And he's like, but I will make every effort to see that after my departure that you will remember these things. What is it that he wants us really to remember? We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic saying, this is my son with whom I love, I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. He's recalling the actual transfiguration event where he saw the, tra- the glory of God given to him and John and James for the sake of hope. This event of God's revealing glory on the mountain was essential to the apostles' hope. And it was the underlying thing, I think, that, that ran throughout all of their message. And it's the same for us today. This message that we hear all throughout the New Testament is one that wants to give us hope really grounded and founded in who Jesus Christ is. That day on the mountain, they were beginning to fall into some despair. But God chose to show them the glory that was in Christ. This is the person you're following. What you see, the glory emanating from him. He's none other than the one that you truly believe that he is. He is the son of God, full of glory and truth. Listen to him. Follow him. Paul, again, has this wrapped up perfectly in Colossians. When he talks about the incredible person of who Jesus Christ truly is. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Man, this is getting glorious. And he is the head of the body of the church, you and I, all of us sitting here. He is the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mm. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, being doer of evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the what? The hope of the gospel? 
that you heard, that you're hearing today, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And here we go. To him, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his what? The glory. And the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you. The what? Hope of glory. All of this, God's glory, revealed to us on the mountain, revealed to us in his holy scriptures, is so that every day we can wake up and we cannot despair, and we can live in hope. We don't have to be like the rest of the world who listens to these stories and these narratives trying to dig deep into our hearts this idea of hopelessness and despair. Do you hear me this morning? Life is not easy by any stretch of the imagination, and and there's no promise of an easy life when we follow Christ. But that doesn't mean we despair. We we look upon him who is the, the fullness of God's glory. Everything that everything that we could ever imagine and hope for is found in Christ and in his glory. We who, are, we who are with hope have an obligation to live like we have a hope so that we can combat the stories after story after story of this world trying to fill people with despair. That is the very thing that we have to give to the world. A life lived in hope when all of those around us are struggling to find hope, you and I who have it in this gospel of hope, live it out missionally. God has given us his very glory when we follow him in faith, when we follow Christ in faith. Everything that we could ever want, really the reason we were created was to enter into the the blessed union that we have and to enter into that hope of glory that is ours. If If you're here today and you were finding yourself walking in a little bit of despair, unsure, in all of the incredible Um, true hardships that each one of you might be facing. We're not discounting them. But if those had begun to fill you with some despair, have hope this morning. Think on Christ's glory and that in faith, that glory and that hope is sure, steadfast. It is a foundation for you. And if you're here today and you feel as though the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you in a new way that he's never done before, that you might um, have never truly received this hope. During communion, there's a special thing. We have, we have intercessor prayers that people that would love to pray with you. 
If you're feeling like you've been walking in despair for too long and you want the hope of glory, if you want the foundation of the gospel to be in your heart and your life, I, I, I would invite you to take them up and go pray with them. Let, them. let them walk with you in prayer for that. To close, let's accept this blessing by Paul found in Romans again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.